morning, everyone. Good to be with you again uh, today. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, once again for your word. We thank you for your many blessings to us. And we pray, Father, that you would bless us with understanding and obedience. We pray as we look at uh, your word from John in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, if you've still got John open there, please just flick back a few pages to John chapter 1. I'll be focusing mainly on verses 4 and 5, but let me read verses 1 to 5 to you. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. In 1869, a Swiss physicist and biologist by the name of Johannes Friedrich Mischer was working on white blood cells in a lab at the University of Tübingen in Germany. And he managed to isolate a molecule that he called nuclein. Now, this was a major discovery. And over the next century, various scientists furthered uh, our knowledge and understanding of this so-called, what they termed, nucleic acid. And then in 1953, two scientists at Cambridge University, uh, James Watson and Francis Crick, announced that they had discovered the double helix structure of this nucleic acid. And they also figured out how this so-called DNA uh, conveyed genetic information that was passed from parents to their children. And our more and more work was done on DNA and our understanding of how DNA works uh, progressed through the decades. And then in 1990, the Human Genome Project was launched. You may have heard of it. Now, the goal of the Human Genome Project was to map everything that made up the totality of all human DNA. It was a massive project. It took them 13 years to finish it. It was finished in April 2013. And at that point, scientists announced, finally, we have understood DNA. We've understood what it means through DNA to be human, to have a particular shape, texture and operative function to the combination of carbon and oxygen that we are all made up of and how we are animated by electrical impulses that make us these living physical beings. They said, we've got there. We've understood life. Now, as wonderful and magnificent a discovery as that is, and thank God for the advances that we have uh, through scientific research like this, as much as this human genome project can do in telling us about the nature of life and who we are, it still can't tell us about the ultimate source and meaning of life. You see, if 
we were all just simply the sum of our DNA parts, then the Human Genome Project's all we need. But we're a lot more than just the sum of our physical parts. We're much more than just our DNA. And that means that life is actually even more complex and even bigger than what scientists can tell us, even through the knowledge that we have in DNA. It brings us back to what we were looking at last week with the word, the logos, that John introduces us to. In John 1, John tells us that the logos is the eternal creator, the one through whom God made everything. And you'll note that uh, we looked at how there was a distinction between the Logos and God. The, the Logos was with God or towards God, if you, know, you translate the particular um, preposition in Greek there. The, the Logos and God are kind of towards each other, and yet there's also an equation between them. The Logos is God. And then John tells us that everything was made through the Logos, through the Word, as the Word kind of faces God and God creates everything, He creates through the Word. And everything that has been made has been made through the Logos. And so we see, therefore, that the Word, the eternal Logos who was with God and is God, is the ultimate source of life and being. In him was life. Now, let, let's just unpack that statement. That is an enormous statement. The Logos is the eternal creator, but in him, in the Logos, whom we know ultimately is the Lord Jesus Christ himself, in him was life. In the garden, in Genesis chapter 2, life was given to the man that God created. God fashioned the man out of the, the mud or the dust of the earth and then breathed the breath of life into his nostrils and suddenly he became a living being. Life was given to him. He didn't have life in and of himself. It was given to him. And the only way that he could sustain life was by having access to the tree of life. And of course, as we know, when the man and the woman disobey God, that access was taken away. And the man and the woman were banished away from the tree of life, this source of life. And in that day, they died. Or they began to die as they were cut off from this source of life. When Moses addresses the people of Israel in the plains of Moab, just as this new generation of Israel is about to go in and take possession of the promised land, Moses gives them the law, the law of God, and says to them, this is what you need to live life in the land. These laws, these customs, these norms and standards and regulations... They are going to bring you life. Now, what was Moses talking about there? 
Moses was not saying, by following these commands, you will gain eternal life. Moses was saying that here is a way that you can live viably in the promised land that God is giving you. You will live long in this land if you obey these laws. In these laws, life in the land was to be found. And so at the end of Deuteronomy, Moses urges Israel, choose life. Don't choose death. God wants what's best for you. And these laws, these good, righteous, just laws are there for you to live by as you live in the land. Now, we know that Israel failed to obey those laws and customs and they ultimately paid the price as they were ejected from the land, just as the man and the woman were ejected from the garden. But, of course, every Israelite, even those that managed in some way to obey the law in some measure, died. Still, they didn't have that ultimate source of life. Here in John 1, we find the ultimate source of life. As John tells us in the Logos, in Jesus Christ, life is found. See, John's just told us that the Logos is the ultimate source of life and being. It's not our DNA Uh, It's not anything that science can put under a microscope or examine in some kind of research paper. Life comes from the Logos. The very life that we live and breathe here and now is the blessing, the gift of the Lord Jesus Christ himself who formed every single one of us in all our minute detail. That's where life is found. But John is not just simply saying that the Logos is the source of life. He's not just the origin of life from which we then move on to something else as we continue to live our life. No, he's saying that our very ongoing life and our ultimate destiny must be found in him because he is the source of life. You see, just as the man disobeyed God and was cut off from the tree of life, just as Israel disobeyed the law and they were cut off from the land in which they were meant to live, John is saying that if we cut ourselves off from the Logos, from the Lord Jesus Christ, we are disconnecting ourselves not just from a garden, not just from a land, but the very source of all life and being. What an unbelievable disaster to cut yourself off from the Lord Jesus Christ. Next week as we go on mission, we are encountering people who have disconnected themselves from the ultimate source of life from the Lord Jesus Christ. And we need to point the way back to the Lord Jesus, the ultimate source of life. 
in him was life. It's not just simply saying as well that Jesus is our spiritual guru, that Jesus is somehow just that kind of life coach for negotiating all the various things in life. He certainly does that, not in a kind of Anthony Robbins kind of way, but in a way that connects you back to the ultimate source of life, to God himself, so that we can learn how to live in a way that God always intended us to live and so that we can also then participate in his eternal life. Have you ever had this happen to you? You're working away at your laptop just in the middle of typing something and then all of a sudden, blank screen. And you go, oh, I've run out of battery. Happened to you? Yep. Isn't it annoying when it happens? Well, that's kind of like what happens when we disconnect ourselves from the Lord Jesus. It might look as though we're working okay for a while, everything looks normal, but then ultimately, disaster happens and we're the ones who lose out. John also says that the Logos was light, the light of the world, the light of mankind. Now, light, we need light. We cannot exist without light. Now, scientists will tell you this. We need light. If there is no sun, there actually is no life here on earth, etc., etc. We need light. And we really struggle when we don't have it. You know, the most plain obvious example is when the lights out and it's really dark, we fumble our way around and we end up hurting ourselves. We can't find our way. Now, once again, John, in saying that Jesus, the word, the logos, is the light of mankind, he's not just simply saying that Jesus is our spiritual light, although he is that. Jesus is our light in a far greater way, however, Notice what John says, that the light has shone in the darkness, but the darkness has not overcome it or not understood it, or as some people would like to translate it, the the darkness has not mastered it. The implication that John uh, puts before us is that there is darkness around, and that is, in a sense, our default state. We are contingent beings We don't have life in and of ourselves. We can't afford to disconnect ourselves from God, from the Lord Jesus Christ. But when we do, what happens? We lose life and we lose light and we end up in utter darkness. We need light. But coming from darkness into light, that actually can be a profoundly painful experience. Do you remember back in 2010, those 33 Chilean miners that got trapped underground? They were underground, trapped in that mine for 69 days in darkness, complete darkness, cut off from life and light. Now, I don't know if you recall, can you believe it was 2010, 11 years ago? 
But can you recall the images that as every single one of those miners, that as this rescue shaft was drilled down to them and every single one of them was brought up, every single one of them had to have these really super heavy-duty sunglasses on because going from darkness into light so rapidly and suddenly was going to just totally explode their vision and they, it would have blinded them. They needed this kind of protection because coming into the light is not an easy thing. But when we encounter the Lord Jesus, what is it that he does for us? See, he doesn't just simply bless us with life, allowing us to participate in his eternal life, the life that he has in himself. We participate in that very life that makes God who he is as we are united with Christ. He doesn't just do that. He gives us his light and shines that upon our own darkness and reveals to us just the depth of the darkness that we have been living in. Coming to know the Lord Jesus exposes our sin. As we keep reading through John's Gospel, John, uh, we get to John 3. And as we hear that, as Jesus interacts with Nicodemus at night, Nicodemus comes to Jesus under cover of darkness. And what's the verdict of that encounter? Light has entered the world. And yet people preferred the darkness. It is such a terrible indictment on ourselves as human beings that when God offers us his life and his light for our own benefit, it is a great blessing to have our sin exposed, named for what it is, to then be invited still through the forgiveness that we have in the Lord Jesus to participate in God's eternal life. What a great blessing it is. Brothers, we have the chance next week to invite people into this light. People won't want to come into the light. They will love the darkness, but please, let's do our best to bring them in from the darkness into the kingdom of the Son whom the Father loves, where there is light. Coming to Jesus can be a very disconcerting experience. And it's why I think it takes so many times hearing the gospel for people to finally realise that they need to come into the light to the Lord Jesus. Because it's not fun having your sin exposed. We see back in the garden as God exposes the sin of the man and the woman and their complete and utter shame at that moment. But ultimately it is for our good. We have been given not just access to a tree. We have been given not laws by which we can live in this country. We have been given the path to eternal life, the path to wisdom 
of living rightly in this world the way God intended us to live. And we need to hold each other accountable in this. It's why as brothers we live with each other and urge each other, particularly being accountable for each other's sinfulness. Part of living in the light is living honestly with ourselves and our own sin. It's why confessing our sin to, the, to our God is so important. We do it every time that we meet here in chapel. And it is so important as living in the light of the Lord Jesus himself. Jesus is life and Jesus is light. The darkness has not overcome it. The good thing with light is that darkness just simply cannot overcome it. When you turn the light on, the light instantly dispels the darkness. There is no darkness switch. You can't turn the darkness on. You can just turn the light out. The light overpowers the darkness. Friends, next time you turn the light on or turn it off, be reminded of the light that the Lord Jesus Christ gives us. Next time you plug that power charger into your laptop or you forget to and you realise a little too late, remember what it's like to share in the life, the eternal life that we have in the Lord Jesus. The Logos is our life and our light. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for giving us life through your Son. We thank you for the life that you have granted us at our birth. We thank you for the life that you have granted us at our second birth. We pray, Lord, that you will continue to expose our sin as we live in the light of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we pray, Lord, that you will compel us with the love of the Lord Jesus himself to shine his light in this dark world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.